Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of My Dog Will Eat My Face. Again, as I've said before, let me start off here by apologizing if there's any humming noise or static noise beneath uh, everything that I say. Unfortunately, it's just the cannula blasting the air and oxygen into my face that you're hearing. And if I'm trying to record something that's trying to record the words coming out of my mouth, it's also almost invariably recording the noises being smashed into my nose, just, you know, five or seven millimeters away from the mouth itself. <laughs> So I apologize for that on the off bat if you hear that once in a while throughout this episode. But with that housekeeping done, let me get down to the bread and butter, what I wish to discuss today. Uh, I did actually not produce an episode last week. And there's a very good reason as to why I did not produce an episode. And it was uh, mostly a physical reason and dealing with an issue that occurred. So one of the things that I wish to do today is give an update as to what exactly happened and incorporate that as some sort of a health update as to what my status is and where I am declining to today um, and share that with you so you know that uh, my physical state is dwindling and you can get an example of that and understand better as to why I missed last week's episode recording and I apologize for that sincerely. But uh, I'll explain in this episode as to what happened and why. It's, it's perfectly uh, germane to the topic of this podcast itself, that is the broader podcast, since it describes part of my downfall and my dealings with the disease as it worsens over time. Because I'll vouch for one thing. It's worsening. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely worsening. <laughs> uh, I am actually recording this podcast today on the eve of an absolute hellscape that was last night. Uh, and I'll get more into that later as well. Just last night was just a complete and utter uh, disaster. I think, I think I'm going to rename... Uh, let's see, what day was it? August 3rd. I think I'm going to rename August 3rd Hindenburg Day from now on in my life. Because <laughs> it was that far of a disaster for me. Uh, anyway, that's a big component of that. And I really want to talk about, one, that health issue. Two, the results of that health issue. And three, how I managed to kind of get back on my horse and still manage to function as best I can as a reasonable, uh, normal human being uh, 
despite such a traumatic issue and other traumatic issues occurring that have really harmed my life in many ways. So that's another component I wish to talk about today, and I don't, I don't really know the answer uh, to some of the questions I'm going to bring forward today, and hopefully just through talking it out, I will come to some epiphanies and come to the answers, like I have so many times through the course of these podcasts, believe it or not. I've, I've had many eureka moments where I've had total epiphanies and realized through the course of my discussion here what the actual means was to recover from such calamities as the ones that I am experiencing. So that's something else I, I wish to discuss and that that certainly would apply, I think, to anyone dealing with similar medical issues or just issues in their lives. And so I encourage you to, to keep listening in for that section. And I don't know where that's going to go because I honestly don't know exactly how I have managed to get back on my horse, so to speak, and keep plugging away. But that's what I'm doing here today. Uh, that's what I've been doing recently. And again, I will uh, talk about that later as I kind of cover the, these events in uh, chronological order and share with you, the good listener, what exactly has happened and what it's like in this decline of my illness with congenital heart disease uh, heart failure and uh, kidney failure now at this point as well so that's where our target is today and I hope you please join me here going forward for this week's episode as I try to address these topics So, to begin with, my friends, I will discuss what I'm calling the fall, <laughs> because that's what it was. That, that's what essentially started the ball rolling with this uh, recent medical calamity. What happened was, I was merely sitting in my bed, or laying in my bed, sitting up watching a video on my laptop with my dog at my side. It was a very pleasant moment when I decided it was time to get up and to use the restroom, as what happens with so many of us mammals. I turned and tried to get up and go ahead and rise and be able to go use the restroom. But what happened instead was a complete freak accident. I'm not even sure exactly how it happened. I have a theory that I'll share. Um, 
or why it happened. Again, I have a theory that I will share with respect to that. But it happened so quickly, and it was just a blur. It was just it was just milliseconds of time, and it resulted in catastrophic and injury. What happened is is I ended up rather than getting up and sitting up to rise from the bed, I rolled entirely off the bed. <laughs> Uh, with no bracing and of course my head's up by the pillow and that went down behind in the crevice between my bed and the nightstand that I keep there and as that happened my left arm got caught somehow on the uh, wooden nightstand itself it had a huge impact where it slammed right into the corner the, the edge of the wooden table of the nightstand and then just viscerally pulled me down as though it was just scraping and cutting through my skin all the way down as I fell up and down my arm I shouldn't say up and down, it wasn't gyrating, but down my arm certainly it did. And it was just a deep, terrible scrape, just rip, with all of my body weight behind it. There was no other leverage, there was nothing stopping this sort of fall and into this object, which was the nightstand. And my arm got even caught in it and got raised up and again just viscerally scraped as I went down until I hit the ground with a loud thud, landed there, pissed myself, and started to cry. That's what happened. And it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> One of the very first things I did is I checked my arm to make sure it wasn't actually scraping through the flesh itself or the skin uh, because I didn't want a bunch of blood gushing out and have to maybe go to the ER for 40 stitches or something horrible like that that was that was my first fear but thankfully it was just a really deep gouge at the time in the arm and there was no blood so at that point it just sort of remained a deep gouge it was really sensitive to the touch and it just wasn't very pleasant the next day I wake up though and there's a huge bruise formed right on my left kind of bicep area where the scraping occurred. The whole area is black and blue. Almost the entire side of the arm is just bruised and in a ton of pain. Then the next day came and the bruising continued but this time it continued to 
uh, escape towards my left pectoral muscle and bruise that way. And that, of course, too, much like the former, hurt just desperately to the touch. So my left arm was quite a mess. My left chest was quite a mess. And I actually did see my nurse the next day and spoke also to the uh, registered nurse uh, lead for the team about this. And according to my nurse, she looked at it and she could see my she could see inside my armpit, which of course I, I couldn't see. And I guess I didn't bother to look inside the mirror, but these were two different bruises, apparently, not just one bruise. So that means at least two blood vessels were punctured and ruptured, spreading the uh, internal bleeding. And eventually my whole left pectoral and my whole upper left arm all the way down to the elbow became all shades of just black and blue and in pain to where you couldn't even see the scrape anymore. So, <clears throat> according to my doctor, it was probably two blood vessels broken, and I also badly bruised the muscle there, the bicep muscle itself. So, it was definitely not a good thing. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I kind of, through my discussions with these folks, I had a theory as to why this happened. And it's something that I've not even brought up in the podcast or with anyone else, or even in hospice, my nurses, with anyone. I haven't brought this issue up, but it's kind of annoying. And it's not a big, it's not been a big deal to me. But what happens is, when I lay down at night and like my toes touch the blanket, the, the, yeah, just, just the sheet, the, the top of my nose touch the sheet as I crawl into bed, they feel like they're asleep. I get like pins and needles feelings in my, in my big toe, especially on the left side and a little bit on my left side toes. I'm just now also starting to get a, uh, pins and needle feeling in my right big toe and also uh, recently I've had issues to where once I get up from sitting or laying down for any duration of time uh, the left leg is really wobbly and noodly and it feels like it's been asleep or is asleep but it's not waking up naturally it lasts for a good 30 minutes and I have to hold myself up going up and down hallways and use walls as leverage to make sure that I don't fall on my face. <laughs> but I didn't mention this at all to my caretakers, my uh, medical team, because it was, I, it was just an annoyance. I, I didn't bother to mention it. But my nurse and... Um, my uh, registered nurse practitioner said that these are all signs of neuropathy where the neurons, the, the, the nerves themselves are dying or hurting or 
not responding correctly in my left leg and in my left foot because of the extensive edema from my heart failure that's been going on. That extensive edema has been laying pressure and pressure and pressure on my nerves and the left leg, causing them to basically die. And also from lack of oxygen, they continue to die or get worse and suffer. So what I'm suffering from is neuropathy on top of everything else. <laughs> so add that to the mixed bag. Congestive heart failure, uh, protein C deficiency, uh, kidney failure, and neuropathy. There, there's my little baggie of goodies. And so my theory is that because of my left leg being noodly occasionally when I get up, when I spun around in bed that night to get up off the side of my bed to go use the restroom, I try to spin around and get up like any normal person would, and I use my left leg as leverage perfectly naturally against my bed to make sure I didn't keep flying over and go overboard on the bed because my right leg was kind of just moving up and flipping upward and kind of airborne for a little bit as I came around on the side to rest with my left leg. So my left leg was essential to kind of brace that I didn't fall. That's perfectly normal. It's perfectly natural. It's a movement all of us do and we probably never think about. But if my left leg was noodly at that time and not responding, then over I went and just fell face first right over the side of my bed. Uh, so that was the injury itself that happened and the event that kind of cut me out of a lot of things that I wanted to do, uh, including this podcast. Uh, physically, I was, and I still am, in a lot of pain, but it also resulted in a lot of despondency, a lot of sadness, uh, not just physical pain, but just emotional pain, and uh, I'll touch on that a little bit more here in this next segment, but that, at least, now you know, is the physical event that happened, uh, and the possible neuropathy that caused it, and the bad fall that I had uh, that uh, caused some pretty significant injury on the days when I normally would do the podcast. So that's why a week was missed, and I hope with that all said, I got you, my good listeners, forgiveness for missing one week. <laughs> I hope you forgive me. Uh, and we can move on from there. So as I recovered from the injury that I endured, it wasn't just a physical injury, I must say. It really impacted me emotionally, I, I must admit. 
I began to fall into a rather despondent state and did so probably over the course of a few days. I know it doesn't sound like much, but to me it, it was a while uh, where I was just thinking to myself, is this what I have to look forward to? Falling out of bed and, and landing on the floor and wetting myself? Do I have any purpose at all in life beyond just being injured and suffering? Is there any chance of me having a legacy of any kind if all what I do is just get hurt, get hurt, get hurt, complain about it, complain about it, until finally when I'm gone, people are actually relieved? <laughs> we all know that feeling, and people like that. So, these things really plagued me. It really bothered me. It, uh, upset me enough to bring it up with my social worker, uh, with some friends and some others, just trying to seek their support. And... As it would happen, the despondency did last for, it didn't last long, it lasted about a day and a half. Which, I know, doesn't sound like a long time, but this is the part where, where it seems curious to me. I want to know exactly, how, ex how did I overcome it? How did I pick myself back up? What was going on in my mind when I was able to finally say, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I've had enough of this garbage. And literally just a day or day and a half. That's actually a pretty good record, I think. So with that, I really wanted to understand what in me drove me to a point where I built myself up and tore myself out from the lousy card that I've been handled. Excuse me, handed, not handled. <laughs> so I want to explore that a little bit here on this podcast and explore it with you. And you're going to have to pardon me at the outset, because frankly, I don't know the full answer. I think I do, but I'm not entirely sure. I'm so not entirely sure, at least, or at least I wasn't entirely sure. This is a topic I brought up ad nauseum with my therapist, where I said, I need to understand what brought me out of that funk. And she at first pushed back. She said, well, what does it matter? Why do you need to know? Well, I said, I need to know for me so I know to do it again. <laughs> for one. 
if it works, I want to be able to do it again. And for two, I want to share it with others if it can help other people overcome maybe what they're putting up with. Why, why wouldn't I want to share that? So, I'm going to have to do some serious questioning as to what dug me out of that rut. And I'm going to try something somewhat creatively to do that analysis with you, the good listener here on the podcast, and see if I come up with a solution that befits me. So, (laughs) hang on to the ride. So, what brought me back from mental anguish? My first answer to that is kind of obvious. Part of it, I know for a fact, is sheer boredom. (laughs) I I get bored with being depressed anymore. (laughs) It's a very boring state to me. I, I I don't like the feeling. I was staying in bed for the most part. I wasn't doing anything. And so I basically became extraordinarily bored. <laughs> I just said I can't live on that way forever. And, and that's true. I have actively decided I cannot live that way any longer. So I know that's a big part of it. That is a huge part of it. Another part of it, I think, is my new understanding of the world that I've gained, actually, by way of doing this very podcast, where I've learned to appreciate that no matter the anguish, no matter the trouble, No matter the pain, no matter the suffering that is brought to me today or tomorrow, I know that it will never take away the best moments of my life. It will never take away the accomplishments I've made. It will never take away the things I'm always proud of. It will never take away or challenge those things that make me, me, in those things that have given me a full life that I can be proud of. Nothing at all in the future or today can change what I have already had. So, That is where I conclude things, at least. And at least with that respect, it's not all end all, end all, be all. Uh, I think, yeah, it's my way of viewing the world. And I think having that view 
of knowing deep, deeply within myself that I have lived a full life, that I've lived a complete life. It's almost like no matter what life piles on to me now, it just doesn't matter. It's never going to break those things that I'm most proud of and I find most joy in. I find a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction in knowing the things that I did and the influence I've made and the things that I'm proud of in my life. Do I want to keep doing things that make me proudful? Sure. But my resources are limited. I have to be honest and deal with the cards that I've been dealt. There's nothing I can do about it. And once more, these are cards that I've been dealt through no fault of my own. It's all dumb luck. It's all dumb luck. So yeah, I can be miserable and terrible for for I I I don't know the, the pain that I'm having for the anguish that I'm having. I could feel I could feel that way for a lot of things. That's why I struggled to pick one. (laughs) But I'm proudful that I helped a lot of people in my professional life in my 20s, which was probably the pinnacle of my professional life. I saved the personal information of some 300 million people. At least I was one of the people that saved it. I didn't do it alone. I was part of a team. But I'm still proud of that. I know I made decisions that absolutely protected people. I absolutely know for a fact that I made decisions that protected people. You know, and, and I could I could even prove it. I have the good fortune that I can actually prove it. And most people can't ever prove a negative. <laughs> In my case, I can. And, well, perhaps, yeah, I'll tell that story briefly. One of the things that I was responsible for was managing the data, the the personal information, including social security numbers, dates of birth, all your identifying information on some 300 million people. I had to decide who had access to what and what for and to monitor it. Those are pretty heavy responsibilities. And when I say who had access to it and for what, it's usually, you know, three-letter agencies, police, collection agencies, financial institutions, things that have a, a need-to-know basis. It's not Jimmy John's. It's not Billy Bob's bait <laughs> shop. It's not, it's not your Aunt Telma. It's not Larry down the block. They're companies that are major and have shown some sort of legitimate need for that type of information. And then I decide what to give them and to give them the very minimum of what they need to protect the consumer. That that was my job. And one of the ways I, I decided to detect fools that were just playing with the data was I, I built an alert system that told me if anyone searched for particular celebrity names. 
Of course, they could search celebrities if they had a legitimate purpose, but what are the chances they do have a legitimate purpose to search some of these celebrities? I've come across some where they did have a legitimate purpose because whenever it was skewed, I'd, if multiple queries were, came across and it looked fishy, I, queued, I killed the account, I shut it off, reached out to the owner and told them to establish it. And sometimes they might find that I was a rogue employee and they fired them. And then they would leave the account off until their new employee was hired and issue them a new code. And therefore, I saved also the company liability, not just me. Not, and I don't mean just my company, I mean the customer's company. And so that's one of the things I developed, was a celebrity alert list. It was kind of silly, but it, it worked. It, showed, it was a way of showing people were just goofing off with the data. They couldn't help themselves to want to look up and see what Britney Spears' social security number is. Because they could, for some reason, they had the access level. And for whatever reason, they thought that would be funny. Well, I had a collection attorney in the state of Pennsylvania who was searching celebrity names. I tried to contact him and, and to establish that, and give an opportunity to establish these are legitimate, but I also shut down his account because it was so egregious. There's a string of celebrities being searched, and I seriously doubt that's legitimate. And I, I shut it down, and I contacted him, saying, your account shut down, sir, but if you have a legitimate reason to search all these names, please provide me the reasons and demonstrate it, and we'll consider turning you back on. Never heard from the guy ever again. He disappeared off the face of the earth as far as we were concerned. So he remained a suspended account. Years later, years later, I get a call from law enforcement with respect to this very same collection attorney who apparently developed a very bad cocaine habit and was stealing the identities of his clients for financial gain, if you can believe that, and was using information services to gain PII, personally identifiable information, that he otherwise did not have. And he was doing that, thankfully, through our competitors. Now, we were contacted because they found an old printout that he had with respect to a legitimate account years ago. When they seized his records, they found this and found our company name saw we were a data company and they contacted us and said, hey, we need to know what data this guy searched since such and such a date. And this is why he, he's stealing identities. And we were thinking, oh no. I looked up the account. Hey, it's already turned off. I already turned it off years ago. And the date in question when he was searching people illegitimately, he was always off on our system. So when he started to search celebrity names, that was a sign that he was starting to lose common sense and lose his mind a little bit. And so the system worked perfectly to detect a bad guy and stop him from using information to hurt people, which is what he was doing. Not with ours. He eventually turned to a competitor to do it. 
And uh, law enforcement at first didn't believe me. They didn't believe that we had no searches coming for him, that he was already turned off. And they even threatened me with a grand jury investigation. And I said, that's fine. Do whatever you got to do. I'm telling you the truth. He's turned off. Provided the information we had, showed he was turned off. And we could all breathe a huge sigh of relief, at least with us. That with this scumbag who was breaking the law, who was hurting people, he wasn't using us. He was using, unfortunately, somebody else. But we did our job and we protected people. And I could show through that perfectly that I absolutely protected other human beings by turning them off. Because when he went to other companies, he did abuse the data. So, and in fact, I sort of could prove a negative. That's just one example of my past working life. So I'm proud of that, needless to say. I'm proud of my life. I'm proud of what I've done. And I think no matter what you throw at me, the kidney failure, the neuropathy, the injury, well, certainly I'll have moments of disdain and discomfort and anger and shock like any human being would, I always crawl out of it quickly because I fundamentally have joy. Not cheer, mind you, joy. And that's different. I have joy in life in knowing that I've lived a good life and I've done good things. And that I have helped other people. And in that essence, I think that fundamental beneath everything, that joy that exists beneath everything, is what allows me to get up when I'm hit with these calamities. Sure, I get angry. I get despondent, I get sad, but I get over it. I get over it rather quickly. And I think it's because of a fundamental joy. And you know, as I think about it, I believe it was Seneca who once wrote about this actual topic. You'll have to bear with me as I pull it up. I don't have it memorized. <laughs> I'm not that perfect. Getting there. I'm close, but I'm not that perfect. But I know, I know it because it's in my book of quotes. Where he says, trust me, real joy is a serious thing. Do not think someone can in the charming expression, blithely dismiss death with an easy disposition, or swing open the door to poverty, keep pleasures in check, or meditate on the endurance of suffering. The one who is comfortable with turning these thoughts over is truly full of joy, but hardly cheerful. It's exactly such 
a joy that I would wish for you to possess, for it will never run dry once you've laid claim to its source. And again, that was Seneca. So it's not cheer. It's not me going around with a smile on my face saying la 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 di da. It's a strong, underbearing joy beneath my skin. And it comes from living, I think, that good life. And that's what allows me to propel forward and recover from these moments of calamity. And one other thing that helps, I have to give a lot of credit, is being responsible for someone else. If you're responsible for only yourself, I feel it's kind of an emotional dead end. But I have a little being, a little guy who depends totally on me, my dog. And I get great joy from taking care of him and giving him a good life. So I think those are the reasons why, again, I got through this particular issue and arose so quickly from being despondent in just a matter of a day and a half. It was the underlining joy of having had a complete life and helping another soul to find joy as well. podcast and to its final analysis I come to frankly an alarming epiphany a very alarming epiphany to be blunt Seneca going back to him believed that there was a very clear distinction between joy and between cheer now, in our modern parlance, they're both used interchangeably, and neither have one meaning over the other, basically. At least that's my experience. But what Seneca was referring to when he said joy was a deeper, core-level happiness, a, a level of satisfaction that represents a a stable sense of 
both acceptance and uh, appreciation of one's own good deeds and one's own life. And it's something that exists almost always in the past because you're always then deriving that joy from things you've done. Not from things you haven't done. That just doesn't make sense. Not from things you plan to do. Not from things you will do. Again, that makes no sense. I'm not joyous because I have a plan to go to Harvard. That that makes no sense, right? But you might be joyous to the fact that you worked hard and qualified and made it into Harvard as a lifelong goal. That would satisfy as a joy. And so they're deeper they're deeper things that never go away. They never cease to exist. They never yield in their importance and in their impact to us. So that's that's the elements of that's that's the elements of and, and the essential uh, building blocks of joy. It's base. It's it's part of the quote unquote soul. Now I I don't think we have a soul, but it's part certainly of someone's basic life. It's it's underlined. And without joy, if you don't have those feelings, then you're pretty miserable. And we all can think of people like that, that have never done anything that has given them joy, that has never been in a position to where they are happy with what they did or who they were or are, or otherwise were joyous with what their life was was or is. Um, you'll have to pardon me, that's my dog deciding to go crazy in the background, the wrinkling noise. Um, so yeah, speaking of the dog though in my face, he's also the dog that will annoy me during a podcast. Yeah, you. Okay. And he talks back. So, all right, so that was a nice introduction to my dog, Carter. Carter, the world, the world, Carter. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Seneca's <laughs> profoundly believed that there was joy as a deep component of life. Whereas cheer is the superficial veneer. It's, you're happy you got a cute birthday present. You're happy with the movie you saw. Very rarely will you get joy out of a movie, uh, although you can. I mean, it, certainly some movies are like that. They are hard enough caliber to wear. They can hit you hard enough to bring you joy just having seen it. It does happen. Um, I have never had that. I've come close, very close. Granted, there's been some really good movies where I've been very close to it. So, 
Anyway, he drew that distinction between the two, joy and cheer. Whereas, the, again, the cheer is the, the upper superficial veneer. And that's something that can't be dependent upon for happiness and life. Uh, the whole make it to you break it sort of thing and the fake smiles of service providers and car salesmen and snake oil salesmen these people are well known for their veneer of cheer and we've grown to despise them for it so with that distinction in mind, I think I've come to the conclusion that I most certainly experience joy in life. In the past and in the present, I experience it in the present with my dog, even though just now he was a little snarky, but I love him for it. <laughs> Gee, I wonder where he learned that behavior from. You know, little things like that. Uh, I, I do get joy out of. And I get, though, unyielding joy from the life that I have lived. And it seems that no matter what is piled on, kidney failure, uh, neuropathy, uh, accidents, bruising, injuries, whatever you throw on it, no matter how calamitous, sure, they're, they're awful and they bring me down for a day or two, but I bounce back because of that joy. I can't stay in this down state because I have deep within me an underlining joy that won't allow me to sit there in self-pity and wallow. I think that's all there is to it. And I think that's one of the benefits of joy for sure. I'm sure Seneca would agree. But here's the big epiphany that has come has come to me when I discuss end of life with my caretakers because again I'm in hospice care and it's a real world conversation I frequently have with caretakers and as my quality of life decreases they offer up means to not necessarily mitigate it, but to even end my life. I qualify for MAID, which is uh, medical assistance in dying. I can, I can take a suicide pill at any time because of my poor quality of life. I qualify. I qualify. But I don't. And I can't even fathom a situation still in which I would. 
I, as I haven't been to that point. I haven't done, done that thing. I haven't taken my life because I'm not at that point where I don't experience joy in life. And that's usually what they say. <coughs> Excuse me. That's usually what they, them, they, them being the caretakers, say or ask, do you still have joy in life? And I invariably answer yes. I still have joy in life. And therefore I can't foresee myself taking a drug like that. And now as I talk about it, and as I realize that that joy is completely unconquerable, it's something in the past that's indestructible. Neither heaven nor hell can move it. And it's already saving me through terrible calamities right now in real life. <laughs> Will I ever reach a point to where my answer is no. I'm not experiencing joy. I don't think that's possible. Because a huge component to my joy is what I have done in the past, as I expressed here today. And that can't be undone. It can't be taken away. Carter, can you shut up? Sorry, listeners. Um, I lost my train of thought due to the dog. No. What I said today, it made it, it made it clear to me that that joy cannot go away. So will I never experience not? Will I ever how do I words? Will I ever experience a lack of joy? If that's the case, then I'm never going to be in a position to take my own life. I'm never going to be in a position to want to give up. That's the epiphany. If my joy is based on something so indestructible as what's in the past, and that is totally indestructible, that means that it is extraordinarily unlikely, at the very least, that I will ever be in a position to where I will want to throw the towel in with this life. And I'll probably fight through it to the end. Because every time a practitioner has asked me to date, do you still have joy in life? My answer has been unequivocally yes. Truthfully, yes. I do have joy in life. And even though I face planted myself off the bed in a weird freak accident and viscerally ripped the side of my arm down a wooden table until I landed thud on the ground, <laughs> causing extensive injury to both my arm and my left pectoral. Even though I did that, 
I still experience joy in life. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. So, that is my conclusion for today's podcast. Because that is a very profound conclusion. And I think I have to leave it at that. Because even I am a little surprised by where those thoughts led me and where logically I've come to understand why exactly I got back up despite the calamity that happened and why I probably always will no matter how bad it gets. So, with that profound conclusion, I'll end this week's podcast with that because it's going to take me a little bit to soak that in. Keep in mind, I do these podcasts not knowing where they go. I always leave the conclusion blank. I never know what I'm going to conclude through my simple talking through of the matter at hand. And today, that conclusion really did kick my butt. I'm going to need some time to soak that up. But I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, at the very least. And I encourage you to follow it and turn on notifications so you're aware of future podcasts. Keep in mind, following alone does not tell you when a new podcast is available. You have to also choose to follow it and to do so varies from app to app it's usually either a separate button or it could be in an ellipses menu and you have to turn on notifications sort of depends but look for it it'll say notifications and you want to make sure they're on and to do that we'll let you keep abreast of any future podcasts Uh, and if you want to support the podcast a little bit further you can go to www.patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face and you can drop a shekel or two if you like for the podcast itself Uh, maybe I could invest in a better ear set and better microphone to where I don't get into a fight with my dog mid mid uh, stream <laughs> but what fun would that be what fun would that be in all seriousness uh, if you wish to support it more I encourage you to go there 
and, and drop a shekel. Again, it's just patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face. But above all, you've already provided your support, and I thank you deeply from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast, and I beg you to share it with others. That's the most I could ever ask of anyone who listens to my podcast. And so if you're already doing that, if you're here still, you're doing that, and I thank you profusely from the bottom of my heart for your support. It means the world to me. It truly does. But with that, I will have to say, I will speak to you next week, I hope, unless something else happens. <laughs> but I plan to speak to you next week. And for now, off Wiedersehen.